Welcome to the Milestones Motivation and Money Podcast, a weekly conversation filled with stories of business, financial literacy, careers, leadership, and resilience. Setting and achieving goals is key, whether they are related to your finances, business, or career. I hope to empower you with these conversations no matter where you are in life. I'm your host, Angel Radcliffe, and on this show, get ready to change your mindset and start your journey to achieve your lifelong goals. So if you need a little motivation to start your day or jumpstart your next project, tune in and be sure to join our community online at milestonesmotivationmoney.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to the podcast. On today's show, we're chatting with Dr. Nicole Garner-Scott, who is a highly sought after serial entrepreneur, finance expert, and coach. She launched Amount Financial Services, which has positioned her as a thought leader, teacher, speaker, and nationally recognized money expert. So I am so excited to go head to head with another financial person. She's the founder of Money Plan, Inc., And through her company and digital financial membership platform, she's catered to thousands of individuals. Her mission is to help create financial breathing room for households of underrepresented communities and realistic wealth plans to fit any budget. Y'all know I'm all about a budget. So let's go ahead and welcome Nicole to the show. Thank you, Angel. So happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you on and discuss generational wealth and building wealth because, of course, with myself being a financial educator, it's a topic of money and I enjoy those conversations. Yeah, it's this it's so needed in this landscape and what everyone is going through from the pandemic to just life overall. I think it's really good just to think long vision, like not only what you're doing for your family, but what you're doing for your bloodline. So very excited to have this conversation with you. How about you go ahead and give us an introduction and tell us a little bit more about you. Thank you. So born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia, (laughs) I like to say I'm a a unicorn. Uh, It's such a transplant city now, but um, one of the few that was actually born (laughs) in the city. I am a wife. I have a three-year-old son. His name is Azai. He is the love of my life and just very, very passionate. I I serve as a financial planner and um, really, really focus on making sure that I can help people grow their money and sustain their money as much as possible. That is so awesome. So how did you actually get into the world of finance? So I have an interesting journey. I got into entrepreneurship, I like to say, when I was five years old. I was the, the lemonade stand, the candy person, the everything you could think of growing up and started a marketing agency when I was in college. So I've been in entrepreneurship for quite some time. In the last few years in my entrepreneurship space, I was really just coming face to face and eye level with a lot of people, just a lot of individuals left and right a lot of women and sitting down, hearing their stories. And so many people will open up to me just in distress about their, them taking the leap of faith to jump into entrepreneurship and things not properly being planned out. And now they were facing evictions from, from retail locations or losing their houses or just a lot of different trauma that was coming along with that. And I felt like there was a very toxic narrative that was happening in society that just shamed people for 
keeping their nine to fives. And I like to say your nine to five is your first investor. And there was just a, a lot of things that weren't in place, just cat from cash flow perspective to just really understanding money and how money flows and how to utilize money as a tool and all the tools that you, you'll never learn in college, but given that you align yourself with the right professionals or, and right individuals, you're able to just make smarter and better moves with a lot of things you're doing and, and not necessarily repeating the cycle. So really heard a lot of those stories. I was on my own personal financial journey. Just, I did not grow up with that background. And I was personally trying to, to trying to save my own family, just put some things in place to make sure that we got to where we needed to get to and took a deeper dive. I just started getting my licenses and started getting a lot of my designations to, to better serve my community and, and many people around me who, who they might be first generation as far as their, their income opportunities, or they might be in a completely different space running an e-commerce or online or first to get a, a certain level. And they didn't really have a lot of people to talk to there. They had surpassed their peer group or their family was just from a, a different time. Like even members of my family are very much from survival modes. So when you have that, they give you the best information they can give, but they might not have access to certain resources to really help you optimize in the best way. So just wanted to bring that information and wealth. And that's when I created the Money, the Money Plan Inc. and started really serving individuals from, from that place. That is amazing. And I resonated with so much of what you were saying from utilizing the nine to five as your first investor, essentially bootstrapping and using the money as a tool, being first generation. Like those are so many details that relate to my financial journey and the things that I've been going through and really using my financial journey as my inspiration to teach other people about money. So I always say, if you want to grow in your finances, you have to change your money mindset. You have to change the way that you think about money, because I think that's where it starts the foundation, even before you're getting to like the budget and understanding what your money is doing and how you can make more of it. Talk to us about your thoughts around the money mindset. So I always believe that mindset is the core of it all. I, I speak a lot to understanding like if you deal with any financial triggers or trauma. So you can start to, to do that self-work and it, it, it makes working with a financial professional and really following a plan so much better. So if you suffered from some very high escalated money narratives in your childhood, then your adult years, you're still operating from that space, right? So I like to give an example of if you were a young child and let's say your father was always busy, always traveling. And so to make up for that, he always sent you gifts and you start to equate gifts and materialistic things as love. In your adult years, it might come to life again and how you deal with people. You might feel like the only way for you to show love or to feel love is through gifts and through materialistic actions. And so knowing that you might sit down with someone like me who designs the best plan for you, but you have some deeper things that won't allow you to follow the plan because you gotta, you have to heal through some of those pieces. So it's, it's really good to understand where you stand on that, kind of take note and just become very self-aware on 
how you might be self-sabotaging some of the goals that you've set for yourself. So mindset is very important in regards to that too. I, I do talk to like generational trauma and just what's happened from a systematic standpoint too. And once you're very aware of that, then you understand some of the things that were in place. Some of what I deal with is from an insurance standpoint. And if I... It, if I'm talking to older generations or generations prior to, there was no trust in that, right? Like the insurance man was like a shady man that came around with a briefcase and you could speak to your grandparents or great grandparents and those weren't good experiences or they don't have trust in banks because of things that happen with banks. And they definitely don't have trust with all the fintech and financial technology that's transpiring. So getting to the root of where that fear is from, and it's, it's rightfully so fear, right? It's, it's not fear that was made up, it's fear for a reason. And, and getting through some of those pieces and figuring out what's in place. So if you're having a generational talk and you're trying to make sure that your grandparents are financially where they need to be, then it's, it's first addressing that fear, not necessarily talking down to them or things have changed, but really being able to show and utilize some of those things as well. And then also just in regards to just mindset overall, when you're, when you're building and you're growing and, and all those different things, there's going to be tough times or, or slow times or times you don't get it or any of those things. And so when you have a strong belief system, then you can see it through, right? And so during the pandemic, the, the market completely shifted <laughs> for a lot of people. And they, they everyone was scared with their 401ks and long-term investments. And you saw people making emotional moves very quickly. And for many of them, had they necessarily made emotional moves, they would reposition because that's how the economy works. It goes up and down. It's, it's cyclical. It's, it's going to be high moments. It's going to be low moments. It's going to be moments where you should sell your house. It's going to be moments you should keep your house. It's going to be moments this company is doing well and this company is poorly performing that that is how this works and so when your mindset gets it right when you're not emotionally attached to the dollar itself you're more so attached to the goal at hand then you're able to really position yourself to be where you want to be as far as the life you're trying to design good words and you went into so many details i loved when you said heal through the money traumas and self-sabotaging. Systematic racism definitely attributes to how we deal with money issues. And I really want to get into a bit of that as we discuss like generational wealth, because of course, African-Americans are lacking when we think about generational wealth, not only with the total amount, but really the knowledge of like how to build it. So when we say generational wealth, Give us like this definition of what everyone should be thinking about. Yes. So it's, it's two, two parts that I, that I like to make sure that I really elaborate on. So the first part is many people think generational wealth is just accumulating a lot of money and making sure it's in the bank for when the next generation is able to tap into it. What tends to go wrong, the financial astuteness or financial literacy was never passed down. So you have this large sum of money for the next generation, and they have no idea what to do with it, and it disseminates over time. And then also, too, money itself, right, cash just sitting in the bank is going to suffer from or it's going to erode from taxation and inflation over time. 
So if you just have a bunch of cash that you're just passing down to the next generation, by the time they step into it, it, it just within it in itself, it's not going to be the value that you thought that you were leaving to them because as we all see, taxes are, are only going up, inflation is continuing to go up, all those different things. And so you you didn't necessarily place it in vehicles that can stand the test of time for multiple generations. So th- those are things I, I like to make sure that people understand because previous generations, it's like, let me pat, let me cut you a check for 50,000 or let me, I have all this money sitting in the bank or those different things, but really understanding how that part works. And then also to having your paperwork in order, because just because you pass and you have a child that shares your bloodline or your last name, that doesn't mean that they just get to assume everything. They don't just get to wake up and just immediately it's all of theirs. There has to be a will in place. There has to be beneficiaries name. There has to be proper insurances. There, there's a lot of things to make sure that your wealth passes on to the next generation. So that's working with your financial team as a whole, from your estate planner, creating your trust to making sure that you have the right insurances in place, beneficiaries are listed correctly, making sure you have understanding of everything that is in your possession and having the right paperwork to back that up. There's a lot of people, even, I don't know if you remember in the news when Aretha Franklin had passed and how hard it was for her family to be able to assume a lot of her estate. And that hers is a high profile case because she's high profile, but that's happening left and right. And especially during the pandemic, you saw the the wealth gap double during that time. And that's a lot of that has to do with people not taking the time to get paperwork in order. And so because you live in this house and because you have worked your life off for it and you just assume that it would go to your children because you had these children, that's just not how the government sees it. It might completely go back into the hands of the state or it's just a lot of different things that are in place. So I, I love to say, if you, if generational wealth inspires you, if it sits on your heart, if it's what drives you, because it, it definitely drives me, then we have to go a little bit deeper than let me just try to collect all the money I can so when I die, my people will be good. Not necessarily. It's a, it's a lot more steps to it than that. Definitely. And you spoke on life insurance. So many people, especially in the African-American community, fail to purchase the life insurance. And mm-hmm. every time, it, it, I swear, getting on Facebook or social media, and you'll see people with the GoFundMe pages and you, you think like, okay, why did they not purchase life insurance? Because just depending on when you purchase it, it can only it can be a small amount of money. But talk to us about the importance of life insurance and also at what stages is like the best stage to actually purchase in life. So life insurance has... Uh, multiple benefits. When we think of life insurance, we typically think of one thing, which is death, right? And and many of our communities, that's a taboo topic. People don't want to talk about it. You bring it to your parents and they're like, oh, you trying to kill me off already? And it's not necessarily the the easiest or most comfortable scenario, but it's a a conversation that has to happen. If If it's your last love letter to your family, if you love your family as much as you say that you do, then the last moments when they're needing that space to grieve, 
don't let them have to create a GoFundMe account or suffer in um, the, the financial side of everything while they're trying to process grief at the same time. But that's one side of life insurance. But then also you have living benefits, right, that are attached to it. So understanding that, and I, I invite everyone who's listening right now to just, just go into a, a deep Google search and, and really start to educate yourself on the living benefits of life insurance when it comes to permanent life insurance and how you can utilize that, especially from understanding that it, it can sit in the tax exempt bucket of, of where your money is sitting and understanding just just the livelihood of how you can leverage. Many times you see people post the meme that says cash is king, but I like to say access to cash is 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 top, even more than having the cash itself. So even understanding how to leverage life insurance or permanent life insurance is, is very important for you too. And then when you ask what stage and when is best to get life insurance, I only wish that someone someone gave me insight way earlier in life. When you're young and you get life insurance, you're going to get the best rates that you could possibly get because you're healthy, nothing has happened prayerfully, and you're in a good space where you're able to make sure that you're insurable. What happens is we see a lot of senior citizens and, and a lot of our parents and grandparents are insured, not because they don't have the money or because they don't know better. It's because something has happened in life that made them uninsurable. They've had a stroke. They've had dealt with cancer. They've had some different things that put them in a place of being uninsurable. And, and when you get to that level in life, it just becomes impossible. So the earlier you can, the better. And then if you tap into like the living benefit side, then you have the beauty of compound interest working on your behalf too. So that once again, it's strategies to all those tools. There's a lot of tools, financial tools that you'll hear constantly in your, in your journey. The more that you're reading, the more you're working with your own professionals, et cetera. There's a lot of tools, financial tools out there, but you have to understand what is your goal for the tool and how to optimize it and make all of your tools work to, together to get you to where you wanted to get. Yes. And I want to really get into some numbers here because when we look at statistics of the wealth gap, we're looking at an average net worth of $17,000 for African-American households compared to that of 170,000 of, of, of a white family. And I always tell people, you have to think about life insurance as like one of those vehicles to help build wealth. So what do you think about that thought of using the life insurance to help families build wealth? Yes, it is. It is a strategy that is not tapped into enough by our communities. And so once again, how I said earlier, that it's not necessarily the cash itself, it's the access to and how you're able to leverage it. And so when you're utilizing life insurance as a wealth building strategy, then you're able to sit down with, with your financial team, with your advisor, your planner, and really map that out to, to get the best <laughs> out of it. And then also too, there's a lot of there's a lot of uncontrollables, right? When, when I talk about your financial plan and how best to utilize your financial plan, many times a lot of individuals I'm sitting down with, they're, they're in a space of thinking they have more control over some things than, than what they do. And, and it's, 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 it's very interesting, but there's, 
there's things you just can't control, right? Like taxes, you can't control taxes, market viability, inflation, sickness, injury, longevity, healthcare. Those are different things that you can't control, right? But they can completely wipe out all of your savings, wipe out your gains, wipe out where you were tracking to for retirement. They could completely wipe out things should they all hit at, at close to each other in the same time frame, et cetera. And so when you have those proper insurances, then you're safeguarding yourself from those unknowns or those uncontrollables. Uh, Right. And Nicole, I want to get into some more numbers because I always tell people you have to understand the wealth gap from a holistic standpoint, really all of the things that have happened in this country that has really contributed to the, to the persistence of the wealth gap. And it's more than just like that average net worth, but there are so many other things that have kept families from building up their net worth, such as like redlining and being disenfranchised. And there's of course, Mm -hmm. discrimination, subprime loan targeting, and even Mm -hmm. thinking way back to the recession in 2008, the financial crisis, the bubble burst, more than 53% of black communities lost their wealth Uh, because they lost their home, because they were Mm -hmm. in these bad loans, bad home loans. And just having that knowledge, like going back to the beginning, when we talked about that knowledge is not necessarily passed down and people don't understand financial literacy, it all goes back to the mindset and the understanding and the knowledge that will help people be in a better financial position. So what are other examples of systemic racism that have prevented African-Americans from building wealth? Yes. So I love this part. And you're a numbers girl. I'm a numbers girl. So the, the, the finance nerd in me sees the finance nerd in you. And I love it. So we're going we're gonna to go further down that track. <laughs> so there, there's moments in history that um, we know the story, but I don't know if we take into account what happened. So let's even think about Greenwood, right? So when, when that happened, when those neighborhoods and that ecosystem was burned down, we look at the the tragedy of what was lost as far as that ecosystem. But let's also remember that there was over seven years of wealth that was burned down in one, which led to continuous trauma after that, right? Just from there on, people didn't trust banks, people didn't trust a lot of the tools and, and, and the market itself. And so that that has passed all the way down to our current generation and, and even deeper. And when it comes to really understanding how to use money as a tool, it takes more than just being able to move around cash, right? It, it takes utilizing some of those tools that we have a, a adamant fear of, rightfully so, but have had an adamant fear of, but that's where a lot of the tax positioning comes. There was an article recently where it talks about how um, Mark Zuckerberg barely pays himself like more than a dollar. And the reason so is because he's able to take part in, in, in tax strategy from how he is how he is placing his money and how it's in the company itself. Or you have people who are, are wanting to get into like, let's say real estate investment or other investments. And you have some individuals who are using up all their own money and, le- and over leveraging themselves and putting themselves in, in varied scenarios. But then you have other people who are, who are leveraging their life insurance and who are leveraging just tactical ways of doing things. And so the magnitude of what could possibly be lost 
does not harm their nucleus of what they're passing down to their family. So, so understanding those pieces. And then also too, from just, just from a, a systematic standpoint and just understanding that as well, I'm one of the only few African-American women that kind of sit in, in, in my space. Right. And there has been there has not been enough advisors that people can relate to from a from a cultural sensitivity standpoint. I went to a financial conference a few years ago by a very, very popular financial guru. And there was a young lady that stood up and she asked a question and she was saying that she has a very toxic relationship with her mother. Her mother only calls when she wants money. That's all their relationship is, is on. She's just really saddened by it because she wants the love of her mother. And her mother only sees her as a way of paying her bills. And so the financial guru responded back to her, like, just cut your mother off. And I remember sitting there and I was like, what, in certain communities, cutting your mother off is never an option. Even if it's very, very toxic, et cetera, that's, that's not something she's going to do, right? That's, that's, that's just, that's not how she was raised. That's not how she, she views it, et cetera. She wants to hold on to some stance with it, but she's just asking for help on how she could create boundaries or reset the relationship. And I found her in the hallway afterwards and I said, hey, instead of asking a financial person, this is an opportunity for you to actually speak to a therapist and you and your mother, if she's open to it and really get deeper down to the root of that and, and don't just take the advice you just heard as said or done. And what I tend to find in a lot of financial meetings across the board is that there's no, there's no no one's taken into account cultural sensitivities. No one's taken into account if you're dealing with survivor's remorse, meaning you're the only person in your family to be a high earner and how you feel the need to have to give a lot of your earnings away so that you can experience life the way you want to with the people you love. And so you're covering the cost for everything. Or if your parents were immigrants and they basically risked their lives and their livelihoods to send you over to this good school and make this life for you in America. And now you feel indebted to them that every dollar you're making, you're giving back to them and not creating any nest egg for yourself or any way for yourself to get out of that scenario. Or, I mean, there's just, there's a lot, a, a lot of, especially like black women are now the breadwinners in their households. How does that impact what's transpiring? It's a lot of different things that um, I've, I've dealt with in my own life. I've dealt with it in my own community and I can speak to those cultural sensitivities. And that's, that's left out of a lot of very important conversations. Definitely. And I know this can go on to be a very lengthy conversation. <laughs> definitely have to have you back for for a part two but I want to ask you this question because of course the wealth gap is always a hot topic and then you hear people that talk about Black Wall Street we talk about how so many African-Americans really started behind the start line and we had this disadvantage and so many people bring up the conversations of reparations so do you think it's up to us as consumers or the government to help close the wealth gap? That's a very complex question but I'm definitely very excited that you brought that up. You have the wealth gap from a macro level, and then you have the wealth gap from a micro level. And many times the efforts that people are doing on the micro level 
is not enough to affect what's happening on the macro level, right? So I, I talk to a lot where there's <laughs> there's all this advice that used to come out that used to be like, you can, if you just pick yourself up by the bootstraps and you work hard and you stay focused and you will make it to where I made it to, you will be a millionaire too. And it's like, uh, okay, yeah, but you were given like 10 properties as soon as you turned 18. You've had a life insurance plan since you were two months old that's accumulated this amount of cash value. You have a lot of other things that your bootstraps weren't as heavy. <laughs> and so so just kind of know, knowing that, I think it's, it's very important for people not to necessarily grade themselves or really put themselves down in, in that. Ideally, I'm, I'm a part of a lot of efforts that really bring attention to a lot of scenarios that are very unfair on the back end. So it will take the government to get involved. But then also, too, as you're going through your day-to-day life, you feel like many people feel like they don't want to just wait on the government for the government to say, this is what it'll be or it won't be. And so they're trying to figure out things to do in their day-to-day to try to level the playing field. I think that there is a lot more attention to what has been done. I feel like there is still so much more work to be done and so many more things that need to be highlighted that if possible to keep on championing the, the, the wealth gap initiatives, exposure and whatnot with the government is, is, is a battle that no one can back down from. If anything, it needs to be increased, but also to understanding what has to happen in your own silo, in, in your household first, right? Like before you can even, before I could become a, this person in the financial space, I had to make sure that I understood all the tools fully within my own house. What was, what was I living by under my own roof? Then taking that into the community, then taking that into a larger level because people will really react and, and, and follow when they can really see it for themselves, when they can see that you're making change, when they can see that you're positioning yourself in the right way, then the belief system is more there because there's such a, a trust issue surrounding it. Right. And you said something that made me think back to your, your mention of the cultural sensitivity or insensitivity where people tell us, tell African-Americans, like, uh, we can take the same path they took. And the person speaking to you is probably a white male <laughs> who's, who fits all the descriptors, like had the trust fund, had the property, had this life insurance policy. And you're like, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> yes, I, have, I had a, a client the other day that she was closing on her house, I believe. I believe she needed an additional 50,000. And as she was going through the process, they were like, well, just, just call your parents and get the 50,000. And she was like, oh, people just call their parents and they give them 50,000 immediately. And she was like, I, I, I have a little bit of a different life. I might be a different client for you guys. So give me a little bit of time and I will figure this part out. But she was like, when she called me, she was like, they seemed so shocked. She couldn't just call a parent and get that immediately. And that is when you really want to understand tools and leverage because you might not have the lifeline that your counterparts have, right? You might, your parents might not have a half a million in cash, accessible, very liquid and accessible to you, given any whim that you call them on. So what are you going to do to figure that part out? You have to build leverage. You have to consider what you need to do to build leverage on your end. So- 
definitely glad you asked about that. Yeah, that's such a good point. And that can be an entire episode on it on its own, really just discussing the things that we experience from other races and how we deal with finances and and what they think that we should be doing or those expectations. But I have some really great examples. I remember when I was getting ready to purchase a home and I had the agent tell me that they put down $200,000. And in my mind, I'm like, who the heck just has $200,000 just sitting around to put down on a home? Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. like, what the heck? I was, then I, it, mm-hmm. it sort of makes you think like maybe you're doing something wrong. You're like, hold on, <laughs> what is happening here? <laughs> exactly. And, and if no one's telling you, you're thinking, okay, I need to go out and work my way up to that 200,000. Mm-hmm. You don't even think, how can I make money work for me? What are some things I can start to do to make that money work for me instead of me burning myself out to get that there's there's just so many approaches outside of what we've been told or what we know and for many of us what we've been told and what we've been what we know is you have to earn you have to get out and work for every dollar that comes into your life instead of thinking hey there's a way to utilize compound interest there's a way to to utilize different tools to make sure that I can get to that value and be able to make those type of moves without it, without me killing myself to get there. Right. And sort of being in this space of being a financial educator, I always have to remind myself just because I have sort of bettered myself with my finances and I understand everyone doesn't understand. And I still have to make sure that I'm speaking, um, sort of in the tone of, of like I'm speaking to the average person and mm-hmm. you, you don't want to make people sort of feel uncomfortable like they can't achieve something and, and I always have to remind people like I have been where you've been and I'm sure you've you've had that conversation with your clients or even in your speaking engagements as well because so many people will look at people who are teaching finance and they'll say uh, well you don't understand And I think so many of us who are passionate about financial literacy and passionate about generational wealth, it's like, yes, we do understand. That's why we're doing what we do to help educate. What's so interesting, as I was listening to your episodes of of many of your podcasts and whatnot, what you'll see in, in our communities is a lot of financial educators have come from very humble beginnings and they got access to something that shine the light on a path that they never heard of before even no matter what their what their path was what their strategy was etc very rarely do I sit around a bunch of people that started off extremely wealthy and then they go into a finance profession right it's 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 very common that that we all got to a point where we were like oh no this is uh uh-uh life got to be different like, I got to figure, I have got to figure this out. I have got to figure out who I need to talk to, what I need to learn, what I need to study. But this is, I refuse for life to go in this direction any longer. And it's such a driver. I don't know if you ever read Damon John's book, The Power of Broke, or Brene Brown, C- Courageous Conversations. Those are two books that I love recommending to people. But when you have that internal driver that is just like, I refuse, I absolutely refuse to continue going in the direction I was going in. And I know that there's different levels to, to this money thing, <laughs> right? It's like, right. you start, the, the more you, 
it starts with you picking up your first book, right? You pick up your first financial book and you're like, oh, wow, it opens little other little parts of your brain. Then you start listening to podcasts such as this and you start writing things down. There's going to be something I said on today's podcast that you're going to be like, oh, let me go back and look up living benefits. Let me go back and understand plan design. Let me go back and look up Nicole. It's going to be some different things that, that start you off. Then you then your brain is going to pop open and expand even more. Then you're going to start surrounding yourself around people like Angel and other people that you've had on your podcast. And, and it, it the information starts to become more and more. Then you get to a point where you have to start having discernment. What applies to your life? What's specific to what it is that you're trying to do? What resonates with your risk tolerance? What all those different things, then you could you figure out the discernment on it. Then you stick to the plan. You create the plan and you stick to it. And you don't allow allow emotions or fear to be your driver or your directive. And then then you end up well positioned in the other in the second part of your life. You you end up older and and at peace and in alignment with how you felt like your life was going to go because you 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 sought out the information you figured out what you knew and what you didn't know you hired the right people to fill in the gaps and then you stuck to the plan those are amazing words nicole and i want to get into another question as far as the youth because when we think about financial literacy of course like I'm sure your clients are, are adults and my audience is adults with the exception of a few students that are in high school, but how important is it to expose the youth to financial literacy? I'm not even saying expose them to things when they are, when you feel like they understand, because the thing of the nature is there's so much technology at this point that my son, my son is three and a half years old. We're already going through concepts, which is exchange concepts. Like he'll ask for something. And sometimes I'll be like, okay, this is an opportunity where we can talk about how to exchange. I have a grape, you have a banana. Are we going to exchange for this? Is it, does this banana, is it worth it to you for this grape? It's like just different things that he's starting to understand exchange. I'm not going to sit down and talk with him about <laughs> something. I keep it very age appropriate for all the children in my family. If they're, if they're in high school, we're having very high level talks. They're bringing those talks to me. They're, most of the, the high schoolers in our family are already somehow doing something on Robin Hood. They're trading. They're vast vastly being inundated with a lot of information from 12, 13, 14 years old, way past what 12, 13, and 14 looked like for our generation or previous generations to that. So I feel like it's, it's very important to bring that to when I do my financial planning meetings with clients, I am always encouraging them to bring their kids along. Whether they get it or they don't, they at least see that it takes planning. They're at least, they're at least building up the muscle of we like we can't just think about finances on the fly. On Saturday, we're going to meet with Miss Nicole and my parents are sitting down talking about money and it will click later on in life. Sometimes it clicks when they turn 18, sometimes it clicks when they turn 30, but they'll they'll go back and remember, hey, there was somebody we used to actually sit down and talk through money plans with. The the misfortune is to sit is to for a child to turn 18, I have, have never had any exposure or talks about finances. And that's when they, the world treats them as an adult. 
They can apply for credit cards. They can start to sign rental agreements. They can start to, they don't know if they're the difference between them taking out um, private loans or all the different student loan options. And, and they don't know what, what they're signing up for, but they're signing up for a lot. And how many people do you know are still paying for those decisions they made at 18 in their 40s and in their 50s? So as much as you can expose, even if you don't know money, even if you feel like, hey, I'm not the person to talk to my child about money, they're, then just put them in the right places in the right spaces or put them on the right technology or put them into, send them the right YouTube links. It is very much your responsibility to make sure that they that these thoughts are coming because the thing is they're gonna go to school and someone's gonna tell them something anyway. So either they're gonna believe what you're preparing them for and what you're doing your due diligence to make sure has some factual foundation to it or they're just going to follow their friends. A lot of us made our financial decisions and still make our financial decisions, not because we fact check, but because our friend says so. Our friend said, hey, you should buy this stock. So you're on Robinhood buying this stock and you just lost $1,000. Or your friend said you should invest in this type of real estate property. You didn't do your due diligence to see like the foundational structure to see what was the equity potential in that area, any of those different things, you go into it, it was a bad investment, you lost all the money. So you wanna make sure that you're starting to build those habits of positioning your children to fact find, to check, to be excited about learning that type of information, to, to see not just your good side too. If you are financially struggling, it, it behooves you to show your children that side too, because then they don't have such a fear of money. They see, okay, these things happen. This is what we need to do to get out of this situation. This is, this is something you should consider so that you don't get into this situation and it, it will continue to, to grow as they grow. Oh, you are like so on point. So I'm over here. I'm just sitting back listening. I'm like, this is so good. <laughs> oh, thank you. So I know the listeners are really getting an earful and hopefully they took some notes. Do you have any actionable steps someone can take right now who's listening, who wants to change their financial trajectory? <laughs> yes. Steps that you can take right now to change your financial trajectory. One, so look your finances in the eye, right? A lot of us tend to just not really deal with it or we deal with it when we have to, when it's tax time or something's going wrong or whatnot, but just get really comfortable with your finances. What is your personal cash flow? There's an app um, called Truebill that I love my, a lot of my clients. I'll be like, download this app. Let's be really honest. What are you spending on Amazon Prime? They'll be like, oh, maybe a hundred dollars a month. I'm like, okay, sounds good. Download Truebill. And then the next time I speak to them, so what do you really spend on Amazon Prime a month? Oh, well, it, it appears I spent $1,200 last month. Really? <laughs> like we knew that. It's, it's, it's you, you have to, we unconsciously move a lot of things outside of our mind because we just don't want to deal with it. So definitely just looking your finances in the eye and, and, and understanding that. Um, also to figuring out your money team right? Establishing your money team. You don't establish a money team when you're already seven figures and up. You establish your money team or individuals you would like to work with as you are continuing to progress through your journey, right? So who is your financial advisor? Who is your CPA? 
Who is your consultant that you're going to? All these different things need to, you need to establish who that is. So when it's time for you to tap onto them, you can. So that when it's time for you to make those higher level moves, you're not trying to seek out those professionals during that time. You're, you already have them. You've already spoke with them. You've already interviewed with them. You have rapport. There's alignment. They understand who you are. And you're able to get to work immediately. So that's very important to you too. And then one last thing that I have to say anytime we're talking anything is to get your will done, right? If you are 18 and up and you're listening to this right now, the amount of wealth transfer that I saw happen in the, since the pandemic started is absolutely unreal. If you just start to Google up the numbers and Google up what has been happening, the, the houses that have been taken out of families' names, the, the money that has been lost, the traction that has been redirected because there wasn't proper paperwork in place. I'm, I'm going to give you 24 hours. I'm gonna give you, if you're listening to this right now, I'm going to give you 24 hours to make sure that you are taking the steps to have the paperwork in place. So all the things that you are working so hard on, blood, sweat, and tears, that it, go, it stays and continues to go in the direction that you intended for it, and not all of it goes, goes in vain when it's your time. Those are amazing words. And I appreciate all the knowledge and gems that you've dropped. I know we are a little bit over time, but that's fine because we're going to make this a longer episode. (laughs) So such important information that people need to hear. And as we get ready to close out the show, I always like to ask my guests one question as it relates to finances. So with myself being a financial educator, I have several brands. One of them is balling on a budget. When you hear that word balling on a budget, What does that mean to you? To me, it means living your life to its fullest for today and tomorrow. So the balling is is you being able to tap into what makes you feel good, what lights you up, what makes all of this worth it. And then the budget is like, okay, I want it to last. I don't want to have this feeling and blow through everything. And then I can never have this feeling again. So that's, that's what I get from it. Awesome. Thank you, Nicole. Do you have any last words for listeners? To- yeah, just to, to, if they're interested in, in doing a, a financial meeting, financial planning meeting with me, go to The Money Plan Inc. So that's T-H-E-M-O-N-E-Y planinc.com and we can schedule that one-on-one. And if you're on social, I give a lot of resources. Once again, I, I consider this to be a calling. This is nowhere just a job for me. So you can follow me at Dr. Garner Scott, D-R-G-A-R-N-E-R-S-C-O-T-T. And, and we can communicate and I give a ton of resources through there as well on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thank you so much. And thanks everyone for tuning in. We will see you on the next episode. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Be sure to leave us a review and let us know any ideas you have for a future show topic. And if you really want to show us some love, share this episode with a friend and be sure to join our community online, milestonesmotivationandmoney.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at milestonesmotivationandmoney. Tune in next time.